Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. <clears throat> okay, this is one of those um, carefully asked questions, so I don't want you to be, be uh, don't talk after I ask the question, okay? How many of you know someone, let's, let's use, how many of you have ever been in another church beside campus church? How many of you have ever been in, how many of you campus church is the only church you've ever been in? Only church? Okay, not very many. Okay, so most of you have been in another church before. How many of you ever had someone in another church that bothered you? Okay, now don't say their name, all right? How many of you ever had a person in another church that you attended and that person really bothered you? Okay, now I see people raising their hands already, but I didn't even ask for you to do so. They were just like, oh yeah, that was me. Okay, now I'm going to assume that that would be, well, it's just us here tonight. So how many of you have been in another church or was a person in that church that bothered you? Just us. So how many of you that's the case? Raise them high. Okay. Now, one other question that helps balance that one out. How many of you have ever been the person that did the bothering? Raise your hand. Okay, only three people. Okay, so quite an interesting, I guess, I guess we left them all at the other churches. Henry Ward Beecher said the following. He said, the church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. And to that, God added his amen, okay. Churches are filled with imperfect people. I think, and, and I'm confident in this, that Campus Church is a, a normal church. You say, well, it's unique in a lot of ways, but every church has its own set of uniquenesses. Campus Church is a church that should be growing in its likeness to Christ. It's really the most important aspect of church growth that any church could ever experience. And we are, as a church, we're on the cusp of seasonal change. So we have this new season that we're coming into. It's a new opportunity. It's a, it's a new transition for us. So it will be it will be us in a more core sense of the meaning through the, the, the months that are ahead of us. And wouldn't it be wonderful if when the Lord gives us an increased opportunity for influence, if we were having grown through the course of the summer. Now, numeric growth is, is certainly encouraging and we're grateful for that, but, but for a church to grow it, it, I suppose, means that it really deepens and, and it becomes or begins to take on something of the likeness of Christ. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Because sometimes people in church are, are not very church-like. Do you know someone, I'm not being silly about this and I'm not asking you to raise a hand, but do you know someone who's no longer in church because their primary reason is whoever is in church. And so something happened, something offended, bothered, some situation took place, and so they're not in church anymore because they, they are pointing to something that happened in church. Now, I, I'm convinced that that's not a good reason to be in church or be out of church. 
It's not good to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to church anymore because the church is filled with hypocrites or, or that's the most ungodly lot of people I've ever... Well, that's not a good reason to not be in church because the church is filled with people that are just like you and me. They're, they're yet imperfect. And the Apostle Paul, in the, the letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, seems to have this thread all the way through it that keeps helping us understand this dynamic of church. And there is a group of people that he highlights and he, he's, in a sense, admonishing those that are in church to recognize this is going to be part of the fabric of church. So your Bibles are open. We're, we'll look at our text in just a moment. There are some things that he that he gives specifically to overseers, to elders. These things are oftentimes awkward or uncomfortable for pastors to preach on because it has to do many times specifically with them. But he is addressing elders. There are times when people have said, I think that, that the text that you're gonna use tonight is specifically for the elders. They're the ones, the pastors, they're the ones that are supposed to be doing this. But I don't hold to that. I think he transitions from a statement directly to pastors, to overseers, and then he gives some instruction to the body at large. He is telling pastors to do this, but not exclusively. For example, look at um, verse number 12, we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you. A good way to understand that expression over you is they stand before you. They stand before you. There is certainly hierarchy, but the one who is over the church is Jesus Christ. He's our exclusive head. There's, there's not a human head to the church other than Jesus Christ. But there are people that God has placed as overseers in the church. That's his business. He's the one who, this is not that we say, hey, I'm going to be the, no, those are appointments that God the Holy Spirit makes. So we recognize that in here. And then he says, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And that idea of work, it means their labors. Like, wow, they are laboring for the advancement of the ministry. And then he says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then he says this. Now, he's not speaking just to the elders, to the overseers. He's speaking to the church. He says, and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. He says there, there shouldn't be this Monday chatter about all the problems with the body. Be at peace among yourselves. Well, let me tell you, one of the things that really bothers me about so-and-so is, he says, whoa, hang on just a minute. Be at peace among yourselves. Isn't it interesting that we, we talked about different aspects of that peace? We have peace with God. What a glorious peace. We talked about the peace of God that passeth understanding. And now he addresses even another aspect of peace. And that is this, almost this idea of this, not this, this, this vertical peace or this internal peace. Now he's talk, talking about this horizontal peace, like peace with one another. And peace with people that oftentimes we, we don't necessarily, or maybe we would say naturally, get along with. And that's a part of every church. It's a part, it, it, it's just the, the human aspect of the body of assembled believers. Be at peace among yourselves. And then to give us some help, 
he starts to identify different challenging people in the church. And he, he, he in a sense, says, hey, listen, this is a part of it. So we're not going to be so naive as to say, well, we're just the perfect church. Okay. Anybody who comes into a church with that naivete that says, well, oh, wow, we've been looking for this church because this church, finally we found the perfect church. Those, there is a perfect church. That's the church of Jesus Christ, his bride. But how we interact with the other members of the body is, is until heaven, less than perfect. So God in his goodness, he says, let me... Let me at least make us all aware, acknowledge that there will be challenges within that body. And he starts to detail them. He, he, he calls them out. He says, be at peace among yourselves. And then he says, okay, now here's what we're exhorting you to do. I'm, he's saying, we're exhorting you. Come on, you can do this. Be ready for this. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't think that this group of people or these, these different aspects of people, don't think they don't exist in your church. And so while, while some might say, well, this belongs to the pastors, I, I don't think that he's saying that. He's saying, be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren. Now he goes back to the whole body. He was saying, okay, hey, brethren, take care. Look at pastors in this regard. Now, brethren, we're exhorting you, church, to do what? Well, he says, warn them that are unruly. Okay, that's one group of people. Comfort the feeble-minded. There's another group of people. Support the weak. Okay, there's a, a, another identifier. Be patient toward all men. Okay, that's kind of that, that who knows what that group is. And then he even identifies another group in verse number 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. So, wow, this group of people, they're, they're actually, that's evil. He says, okay, but don't, don't return, don't reciprocate with the same. He says, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And then he gives these staccato um, little encouragements that we won't take time to look at right now. But did you see the, the, the different characteristics of people that he identifies here? The first group, we'll just mention them and then we'll make some comments and then we'll say, what do we, what do, we do with them? The first group he mentions uh, are the unruly. Warn them that are unruly. The, the, the word unruly, it means those that got out of rank. Okay, hey, you're supposed to be marching in line and like, oh, I'm not doing that. And they, they stepped out of line. They got out of rank. They're disorderly. They're irregular. They're deviating from the prescribed order or rule. Let, let me ask you this. Again, don't raise a hand, but how many of you have ever been a little unruly? Can a church say, this is how we do it? Okay, do you ever remember, have you ever been in a situation before where you were the person actually making the rule and you didn't agree with your own rule? Have you ever had that happen before? You know, we, we used to have a Christian school at, at the church where we pastored. Previously, we had a Christian school and and I was responsible for, for a lot of the things. And sometimes I'd say, who made that rule? Where'd that policy come from? Oh, that was my idea, okay? Unruly. Like, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to do it that way. Do, do you know, when we're not talking about moral matters, we're just talking about sometimes just policy matters. 
like, oh, we're going to do it this way. It might not be a right or wrong. It's just like, I just don't like it that way. Okay. It is something that, that we at times have this spirit within us that, say, that says, I don't want to. Okay, how many of you ever want to touch the wall that says wet paint? Just to see. It says don't touch wet paint. How many of you ever have done this? How many of you, when it says keep off the grass, how many of you have ever just put your foot on the grass? Why is that? Because we're, we're born rebels, and you know, in church, at times, there is this sense of, I don't want to do it that way. Well, Paul's saying, okay, warn them that are unruly. We'll talk about that warn in just a moment. And then he goes on, he says, comfort the feeble-minded. So here's this other group, the feeble-minded. The word means the faint-hearted. They're, they're oftentimes motivated by fear. It's like, I, I don't know if we should do this, or I don't know if we could try this. They're, they're oftentimes very afraid to try something new. We've never done it that way before. I don't want to belittle this, seriously. I don't, I'm not intending to, but I think it's a fair example. Could there be some, we mentioned, hey, we're going to put up new screens. Could there be some that say, oh, I'm going to miss the old screen. I like that center screen. I like, I'm a 4-3 kind of a person, okay? Isn't it possible that there would be some that say, oh, I, do, I just... Oh, more, more. I don't know that I want that additional screen stuff up there. I, I like the, it, it, that's even okay for a person to have that. But you know, oftentimes that becomes such a, this, this sense that permeates other people and they, they just want to like, oh, well, I just really don't want to. I don't know if we should. And the, the, the feeble-minded. Then he goes on, he says, support the weak. These are those believers whose, whose faith is just exactly what the word says. The weak. They find themselves because of this, this weak faith falling into the same problematic situations on a continual basis. Like I, I tried to do that. I just couldn't do it. Okay, well, what did we talk about the, the, the last time we met? I know you said that and I tried and I just couldn't do it. And it can be very frustrating when you've laid out a plain path and they just are weak. And then we, we might call this group the frustrating, be patient toward all men. These are those that continually test your spirit control. They say things and do things that are simply frustrating. It could be this, a non-moral thing. It could be just a thing that bothers you. Okay, how many of you find at times it's frustrating to concentrate on the sermon because of what someone else close to you is doing? Have you ever had that before? Have you ever had like the candy wrapper person, okay? Like they get out the candy wrapper and then they're, they're unwrapping the candy and it takes them like three points in the message to get, I mean, you want to turn around, can I help you with that, you know? And so they're playing with the candy wrapper and then they finally get the candy and they put the candy and then they start to fold the wrapper. And it's this crinkly thing and you're listening to it and you kind of look around and, and okay, this is the kind of thing at times we're talking about. It's just frustrating. So sometimes have you ever seen the person that the whole sermon, I mean the whole time in church, they're just there and they got their phone out and they're, they're playing a game on their phone, they're texting other people, they're whispering to people that are around them and there is a constant, continual, just flurry of activity around them and you're trying to pay attention to the sermon. You ever had that happen before? Is it frustrating? Do you wish those people were just not in church? 
You see, what, what, what the Bible is telling us here is, okay, these are people that are a part of church, and sometimes we are those people. And then he goes to that other group. He says, the wicked, really. See that none render evil for evil. This group, they, they're committing sins against one another. It's not just this frustrating thing. It's not just this, oh, they're weak or they're, they're feeble-minded. These are people that, wow, they're not doing right. He says, okay, don't you reciprocate. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. They did this to my child. They said this. They should have never said this. And I'll tell you what, I will never. Wow, now what are we doing? Now we're, we're starting to respond with something and, and maybe actually presenting some pattern to those that, that we say, hey, listen, they should never have done that. And now we're rendering evil for evil, actually deeping a family pattern of reciprocation when someone does evil to us. Listen, this is what we do back to them. Maybe we haven't said that by word, but we have by deed. We understand that we're striving to, to, to deepen, to grow, to have the likeness of Christ more clearly formed in us individually so that it will be reflected collectively. But people in church, challenges, and, and Paul identifies them, it can be problematic, not easy to get along with. We think church would be easier without them. But as a church continues to grow into his likeness, these are the people we're instructed in scripture to deal with. And sometimes we are those people. And not only are we to, to in a sense, deal with them, we're supposed to follow the example, and we see this example all the way through the book of, all the way through scripture, but we see it all the way through Thessalonians. In chapter one, verses two and three, we give thanks to God always for you all, Paul says. Listen, he's not, he's not writing later and says, okay, the feeble-minded, the weak, the, the wicked, he's not saying accept them. We don't thank God for them. When Paul says, we thank God for you all, this is this umbrella statement. And then he breaks that down a little bit further as he goes throughout the course of the book. What's Paul's goal? What's the end of this whole uh, uh, prescribed listing of people that are part of the church? Well, he says, ye are witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. What is his prayer for the church? It should be the same as our prayer for the church, that the church would walk as a whole in a manner worthy of or consistent with the one who called us. We see that, that Paul's being very careful in how he behaved himself among this young church. And we see that he did so in order to call them like a father does his children to follow in his footsteps. Do you know if we're not careful, just with us, just, just us, if we're not careful, we get frustrated with one another. And then when we get to another season of campus church, we're, we're so frustrated we're so bothered that we behave ourselves in a manner inconsistent with the one who's called us. And then we're not really inviting others to follow in our footsteps. 
We're saying, well, I wish they were different, but, but how are we reflecting that difference? He re- reiterates this again, his desires that they'd walk worthy. First Thessalonians 3.10, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect, that word means complete, that which was lacking in your faith, First Thessalonians 3.10. He goes on, 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Again, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, this is how to walk. You remember 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. The only reason he says, come on, let's, let's do this, is because he's following Christ. Paul would say, listen, if, if me or even an angel from heaven tells you to walk in a different way, to believe another thing, he says, listen, you reject that. The reason he's inviting others to follow him is because who he's following. And this is the idea behind where should all of us individually, personally be? Lord, am I walking in your footsteps and seeing others through your eyes? And I think that's why he starts to list challenging people to say okay this is going to be part of church and it always will be part of church so how do we deal with those challenges and he really starts to to detail this is what it looks like so let's let's wrap it up by by looking at those those peoples again and and he gives us some help for each of them first of all the unruly he says warn them that are unruly warn This is, again, those people that are out of rank, they're disorderly, they're irregular, they're deviating from the prescribed order or rule. And the word warn means to caution, to reprove, and this is interesting to me. There's a, the the Greek word, it has this connected to it. It says, okay, caution them, warn them that are unruly, but it has this, this unique connection to that caution or that warning, and it says gently, gently it's it's not this I can't wait to get to that person because you know we were told in scripture warn them that are unruly and I'm about to do some heavy warning do you know it connects the idea of okay how can we do this gently one time in our teacher workroom I posted a sign that said be as kind as you can afford to be in other words I know that different situations call for different levels of severity. I understand that. But oftentimes we jump to levels of severity long before we need to be there. Maybe sometimes we don't get to the level of severity that we should. But you know, this passage right here, warn them that are unruly, he actually says, okay, listen, let's understand the gentle aspect of this. Do you know a, a, good, a good way to start conversations when you have to do some correcting is, hey, can I ask you to help me with something? Could you help me with something? Yeah, what do you have? Well, I noticed today that. And there's this sense not of I have to correct you, it is I, I really do care for you. So, so now he's saying, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. You, church body, I know, man, it's like, are we really supposed to do this? Yeah, we really are. With a likeness of Christ that is befitting his child. So we, we warn those that are unruly. One commentator said that, that, that sometimes the unruly, 
He said, these are sometimes the loafers in the church. It can mean someone who shrieks responsibility because of apathy, but also because of rebellion. Have you ever been critical yourself? How many of you are are really good at telling a, a football player on the screen how he should have run that route? Exactly, okay? So have you ever been, you know, like you see something happen and you're sitting there watching the whole thing. Oh, I can't believe he, here's what he should have done. Okay. I, I find it interesting that many times in churches, the people who have the, the, the most critical spirit are, are at times the people who are taking on the least responsibility. Really what he's saying is, all right now, come on, let's, let's be careful but warn those that are unruly. They've stepped out of line. Is that really, do they know all the circumstances? Do they know all the settings? Do they know all of the things that are a part of this? The word warn, it simply means, okay, come on, let's give a little check to that statement. He goes on, he says, the feeble-minded, comfort the feeble-minded. That's, by the way, it's the only place in all of scripture that that word's used. So the the Greek word it's used exclusively only here and it means faint-hearted, comfort, it means calm them, console them, encourage them. It's like, I just don't know. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do this. Did God really call me? I just don't. He says, come on, let's, let's come alongside them. You remember Barnabas, Barnabas, this one who's called alongside Years ago, I was, doing, um, I was doing my sophomore platform for PE. I was a PE minor in college. I'm doing my sophomore platform and I'm out running the 12-minute uh, run. And you had to run like a, I don't know, a, a mile and three quarters in, in less than 12 minutes. And, um, and I'm out there running and I, I wasn't with the rest of the class when they ran. It was just me. And a couple high school kids from the track team came out and they paced me. They ran alongside me. And I'm telling you, they they were, I had no idea how fast, how am I supposed to be doing? How am I doing? And a couple kids came and they ran alongside me. Man, was that encouraging. They, They set the pace for me. I was able to do something that I was uncertain of myself because someone came and ran along the side. And when he says comfort the feeble-minded, really in some sense he's saying come run along beside. Um, have you ever had to stake a plant up so that it wouldn't fall over? Now sometimes you only have to stake it until it gets strong enough itself. Sometimes some plants have to be forever staked. Maybe there is some aspect of some people that you're going to have to always help prop up. Maybe there are some that at some point they're going to be strong enough to stand on their own. But Paul says, comfort the feeble-minded. He says, support the weak. The very word weak there, it just means their strength is minimal. So the word again, it's the same idea of let's hold them, prop them up. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's, come on, let's, let's hold them up. Then the frustrating, be patient toward all men. Patient toward all men. Be patient with all who try your patience. And, and I find this interesting. We've heard this word before. If, it may sound familiar to you, but the Greek word here, makrothemeo, be patient toward. Sometimes we read that in scripture as long-suffering. 
Macro, long, uh, 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 long until you explode. Macro thumos, okay? Long tempered. We said it's long fused. It takes a long time for that fuse to burn. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying be patient toward all men. Don't be short fused. You, you ever seen people in church really bothered because someone is in their seat? Like, wow, they, they just like, they're in my seat or, or I'm, I'm being a little silly about this and, and hopefully not too close to home, but well, why do, they, why do they have don't sit here signs? Being a little silly about that, but, but long fused, like patient toward all men. And then he goes to the wicked. See that none render evil for evil. The reality is that people in church are people. And sometimes people say things, do things, hurt in ways that do really hurt. I suspect that that probably takes place in just about any church where there are people. Don't respond with the same. Our words should not be befitting theirs, reflective of theirs. Our actions should not be, okay, well, you started that and I'm going to finish that. Aren't you thankful that that Christ does not respond to you in a manner that is consistent with how you always respond to him. Within the fellowship of any church, there are people who will be difficult, not easy to get along with. At times that's you and at times it is me. It's true of families, it's true of workplaces, it's true of schools, it's true of churches. But the church is uniquely different. This is who we are. For as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And we, being many, are one. May we deepen, grow more accurately into the likeness of Christ, even when we, at times, are challenging to get along with, and even when we confront others who may be the same.